there's a pretty staggering difference between when a child excitedly opens up the instructions to his brand new Lego set to when he sits and hears the principal drone on and on on the first day of school about all the rules for the school campus. There's even a difference between the person who sits in his first college classroom, knowing that it was easy to get in, his parents are footing the bill, he just sees it as a necessity and looks over that syllabus, bored, not interested, versus the person who is the first individual in their family to ever go to college, who worked through high school, and after that class is going to the school dorm cafeteria to work some more to pay his bills. He looks through that syllabus, can't believe that he's actually there. When we look at God's Word, and as we have been looking at and unpacking the rules and roles of a deacon and for really all Christians and servants, we can easily see that as just rules that we have to do. They're boring the Bible drones on and on, and every page just gives us more that we have to do that we don't want to do. Or you can be like that second college student and recognize what an incredible sinner you are, and by grace you have been saved, and what a wonder of wonders it is that even in how you eat and drink, you can glorify your Creator and Maker. And so we praise God that God has put together the local church and in that church has placed various offices and given clear instruction for those men as well as for the church to see and to gauge and to install. So as we continue our series on leaders in the church, we now come to the final section of God's instruction for deacons. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 11 through 13. We will finish this section this morning. I mistakenly told you we had two more weeks. We will complete instruction on deacons today. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Paul writes, Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. We saw last week that the word deacon means servant. We are all servants, all Christians are called to serve. If you're not an elder, if you're not a deacon, it does not mean you are not to serve. However, we also know that in this and other contexts, there's clearly a particular title, a role within the local church for a select few that are to be deacons, an official role within the church. And this is what we are talking about this morning. And so this morning, I want to give you three exhortations for service in the deacon's ministry. Three exhortations for service in the deacon's ministry. A more general outline, as you will see, that it starts with women and then goes back to talking about deacons. And so our first exhortation for service in the deacons' ministry is the female counterpart. The female counterpart, and let me read for you again, verse 11. Again, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
He writes, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Before I go and unpack this word for word, let's talk about the elephant in the room or the elephant in the passage. What does this or whom does this refer to? Is it talking about deacons' wives or is it talking about women in general or is this referring to a third office that Paul is saying is in the church in addition to elders and deacons, deaconess or female deacons? I do not believe that this is talking about deacons' wives, and here's why. First, there's nothing said about elders' wives. And though we all serve, we understand that there is a special authority and importance given to elders, and yet nothing is said about the elder's wife. Second, you would expect in the Greek different grammar if it was referring to the wives of deacons, a kind of grammar that is not here, but you see in other places in Greek literature, including the New Testament, when you're talking about someone connected to someone else. It's not here. Now, that thing that is missing would literally be the woman with a definite article or their women, which we would translate their wives. It's simply not there. This leads us to the second possibility. And by the way, I'm giving you these three because these are the three most common interpretations of this. By the way, the Greek just says women. And so it doesn't really give us a clear understanding of what he's talking about. The second possibility is that this is talking about a third office after elders and deacons, deaconesses, female deacons. There is no Greek word for female deacon, and so people would argue the word woman would be the fitting word. Another argument for this view is the word likewise. He introduced deacons with the word likewise, connecting them back to elders, and now he says women likewise, and so the argument goes that he is now connecting them back to deacons and elders, and thus continuing on with a third office within the church. Although, although these are good exegetical arguments, we have one of the same proofs used of deacons that we saw of elders that limited the office to men, and we will see that in a moment that they are to be husbands of only one wife. But you can counter that and say if verse 11 is creating a third office in the church, then this argument doesn't hold water because he's talking about deaconesses here and the husbands of one wife only applies to deacons, okay? So it's a totally different group of people. Also, the role of deacon, because some people will say, well, women can't be deacons or deaconesses because it's a position of authority, but it is not. And so to have the role of a deaconess does not disqualify that or contradict what we saw at the end of chapter 2, that is that women are not to hold authority over men within the context of the local church. So that argument does not fit here either. Now there is a third possibility, and it is simply 
and this is the most clear because he just says the word women, that Paul is, for whatever reason in this context, he kind of shoehorns this in, and that's another, by the way, argument for deaconesses. Why would he randomly, in the middle of the qualifications of a deacon, talk about women if he's not talking about female deacons? But the third possibility is he's just talking to Christian women in general. And again, a common argument against this view is the odd placement of this instruction because you'll see in verse 12, he goes right back to the deacons and not just talking about deacons, but in the middle of their spiritual qualifications. Why talk about women here all of a sudden? But the exegetical argument for this is it says women. So that would be the clearest and safest interpretation of that. The challenge is that none of these arguments is definitive enough that anyone who is a Bible scholar, no matter how strongly they hold their view, would say that a church that does something else is in sin. For example, those that have deaconesses in their church would not say that it's unbiblical for that church to say they don't allow deaconesses. Nor would those who prohibit deaconesses say churches with them are in sin or are violating the Scriptures because it's just not clear enough. There's lack of clarity in the Greek. Well, what about us, Grace Church of the Bay Area? Let's move to the next point. No, I'm going to answer that question. As a church, we have had deaconesses in the past. We have had one. They have since moved back to their home state after he retired. She was married to a deacon. I asked them both to become deacons at the same time. If she had said yes and he had said no, I do not think I would have moved forward with only her being part of the team. In the same vein, I did ask the wife of one of our current deacons to join him as a deaconess, but she chose not to. So at this current time, we only have deacons, male deacons. As time has gone on, however, as I have studied the Scriptures, I am more and more convicted that our church should not have deaconesses for one simple reason. Because of the lack of clarity in the Scriptures exegetically, I prefer to err on the side of caution. Even if this passage is allowing for deaconesses, it does not command it. So we would not be in sin either way. I prefer to err on the side of caution. It is the same principle we use in regard to having women up front during service. It is not sinful or unbiblical or them having authority over you for a woman to do the Scripture and prayer. They're not teaching. They're not holding authority. But we choose to err on the side of caution. Not to be chauvinistic or legalistic, but with the same mindset that I would hope you all have. If the Scriptures are not clear, if it is a gray area or you are not sure, then let's not stand in the gray or lean toward the dark. Let's become as pure as possible when we are not sure. That being said, as I mentioned earlier of others, do I believe that churches that have deaconesses are in sin? Absolutely not. Do I judge them for it? No, I do not. As an aside... This does not mean that women cannot serve. It does not mean that they cannot serve in higher positions in the church. 
Our children's ministry director is a woman. Our woman's ministry director is a woman. And that may seem obvious and may get a chuckle, but there are those who would have a man oversee the ministry but have a woman run the day-to-day. But those positions are filled by a woman, and were we to have deaconesses, they would probably be the deaconess of children's ministry and women's ministry. Does that mean, since I have moved in my position for our church, does that mean we'll never again have deaconesses? I really couldn't say for sure, and here's why. Because as our church grows, we will hopefully install more elders, and those elders may have greater insight and a greater depth of biblical knowledge in having studied this topic and may sway me and the other elders and say, no, this is what the Bible says. And so, this is not a salvific issue. This is an unclear issue in which study, greater study, could change how we do things. With that in mind, we approach this verse looking at the grammar at face value. This verse is for all Christian women. Now, we understand that nothing Paul says here in the context of the entirety of the New Testament is unique to any one type of Christian woman. In other words, everything we're going to look at is called for for all Christians and Christian women. So indeed, if Paul intended this to be for deacons' wives or deaconesses, it wouldn't change the fact that these principles are elsewhere given to all women and, in fact, all Christians. Would it help the deacon's ministry if his wife was such a woman? Absolutely. I would say it is a must. Would it help if a female servant in a specific role or office in the church was such a woman? Again, absolutely. But it is for all of us, and especially in this context for women, so let's unpack this. He begins by saying women must be dignified. This is the same word used of deacons in verse 8. And you may recall that this was a word that I said was so rich and deep in the Greek, it is hard to pinpoint with one English word. The Greek word carries the ideas of serious, dignified, stately, noble, worthy, esteemed. And last week I summarized it as a combination of dignity and gravity. Christian women then, must conduct themselves in a dignified manner. And yes, as an aside, that obviously includes how they dress. And this is such a great reminder for all of us, but particularly women, as God has so wired women, females, so that they are more emotional. This can be an incredible tool for the service of the Lord, but it can be a major hindrance as well. In every area of her life, as extreme mood swings can cause problems with all relationships, as can being driven by emotions rather than truth, including, and most importantly, one's relationship with God. At the same time, like the deacon, women are to understand the gravity of what is at stake in regard to the plan of God and the impending doom of the world, and how women have a special place in God's plan in the local church and can serve and even see needs for service far before men can often do. 
And more specifically, in their service, having a knowledge and a response to the needs and wants of those around them, such that they minister and encourage in a fitting and godly way, not based on emotions, but based on truth. You see, one of the dangers of men or women being overly emotional is that we sympathize so much with someone going through a trial that rather than giving them scriptural basis for how they should think rightly about things like God's sovereignty and pain and health and wealth, false gospel, that we just want to feel for them and we don't give them the truth. And this is all part of being dignified in our service, dignified in how we behave. Now, as we move on, Paul continues and says that women must not be malicious gossips. Now, I don't want to get into any trouble here, but it is interesting to note that of all the different groups that Paul is addressing here, it is only women that are exhorted not to be malicious gossips. Now, what can I say other than God is all-knowing? <laughs> all kidding aside, gossiping we know is elsewhere prohibited for all believers, but the reality is that women, more than men, have a reputation for not just gossip, but malicious gossip. Whereas men, as we saw last week, are more prone to be double-tongued for the sake of reputation and manipulation, saying one thing to one person and then another thing to another person, women are more prone to malicious gossip. And the word we have translated here is different than the Greek word for gossip elsewhere in the New Testament. Here it refers more to more than just talking behind someone's back or even spreading truths about someone that that someone doesn't want said. This malicious gossip is referring to slander. That's how the ESV translates it. Although I mention Greek probably every Sunday, I don't often tell you the actual Greek word. This wouldn't really help you. What's the point? Here, I think it will be helpful because the word translated into malicious gossip in the Greek is the word diabolos, devil. Women are not to be demons, malicious gossips. The devil is, after all, the chief slanderer. And when anyone engages in malicious gossip, they are in some form or another doing the devil's work. And even if you think that's too extreme, Surely when you engage in malicious gossip, you know you're not doing the Lord's work. Later in chapter 5, Paul refers to a problem in the Ephesian church and gives us greater insight into why this, is, this command is given. And the problem in the Ephesian church that we see in chapter 5 is especially among young widows. That would be widows who are young enough to remarry and probably do not have kids because he tells them to remarry and have kids. And this is that they now had no family to take care of, and so they were being idle. They were going around to their neighbors, being gossips and busybodies. Paul's words, not mine. And widow or not, 
we see a solution here to being a or becoming a malicious gossip, and that is very practically, stay busy. You've heard something to effect of idle hands or the devil's workplace. And in chapter 5, for instance, Paul indicates that one of the problems with these young widows is that they are not married and do not have children and thus have too much time on their hands. And so they're going from house to house spreading gossip and rumors and talking about things that are not beneficial. For us, male or female, we need to be busy and keep busy with the things of the Lord, which includes work and family. We must love others. We must serve others. We would go, must go out of our way to do so. We must be about the work of the Lord and not diabolos, intentional or not. Women, Paul continues, must also be temperate. We saw this called for in the elder's life. It speaks of being sober-minded, having self-control and a balanced mind. Originally used of being sober from alcohol, this word is now used by Paul to refer to having a sound mind such that you can think clearly and follow through on your goals and endeavors. This includes, again, not being overly emotional, but it also means knowing the Bible, having the right priorities, not getting sidetracked by everything in the world, the social movements, the peer pressure. And back when we were studying the qualifications of an elder, I gave the example of someone who is physically drunk and how being temperate is to be the opposite of the thinking and emotions of someone who is inebriated. You have probably experienced this with yourself or other people. There are people who get drunk and are easily angered or aggressive. There are others who are overly emotional the, I like to call them, I love you, man, drunks, would never say that when they're sober. And so temperance, although it's not talking about being sober from alcohol, it, being drunk with alcohol gives us a good picture of what temperance means. Not overly emotional, not easily angered, not irrational in your sadness or unbridled in your excitement. The temperate woman is predictable and under control. Finally, Paul gives us an all-encompassing catch-all requirement. She is to be faithful in all things. She is to be someone who is trustworthy, reliable, dependable. We need to be dependable people, regardless of the situation, regardless of the task at hand. Most everyone is faithful in something or some things, but God is commanding faithfulness in all things. Whether you like it or not, whether it's convenient or not, whether it's something you enjoy or not, comfortable or not, it's not a matter of faithfulness so long as you have nothing better to do reliability as long as someone else doesn't call later to want to hang out, trustworthy as long as you don't have something self-centered that you need to engage in. I said it last week when we were talking about deacons, and I'll say it again now. For some of you, your yes is yes. It's biblical. For others, your yes is known to be maybe. And for an unfortunately growing number of you to your friends, your yes to them means I'll believe it when I see it, when she actually shows up.
The Christian woman must be faithful in all things. Obviously, within the context of Scripture, we know this means faithful in the things that God wants her to be faithful in. There are some people who simply say, well, in order to be faithful, I don't commit to anything, so I won't prove to be unfaithful or let people down. Okay. First of all, grow up. Second, it doesn't say to be faithful just to the things you commit to or even the things others expect you to be faithful to. It says, be faithful in all things. Someday, you will be freed from a sin you can't break, pulled out of an emotional pit, or lifted from the darkness of a trial by someone who is not just faithful to the things he or she wants to commit to or has committed to, but someone who is simply faithful in all things. And you need to be that someone for everyone else. And in this verse, I've illustrated this mostly with faithfulness and being there for people or gatherings, but this also encompasses faithfulness to the Lord and the spiritual disciplines, prayer, reading the Word, worshiping, obedience, those types of things. We know that the commands for women are not limited to this verse, but are found throughout the New Testament. But this is helpful in the context of Paul speaking of serving the church. And as we move on, Paul goes back to the qualifications of deacons, and that brings us to our second exhortation for service in the deacon's ministry, the further characteristics. We saw some last week, now we see the rest in verse 12, the further characteristics. He says, deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. Husbands of only one wife is the same phrase used of elders in verse 2. This speaks of monogamy, only having one wife at a time. On a broader level, this speaks of sexual and marital fidelity. Because we know that there are those in our world who are married to one wife, but are not faithful to that one wife. So this is more than just being legally married. Ultimately, the issue at hand is moral character and not marital status. Like the elder, this does not mean that the deacon must be married, but if single, must still be sexually pure, not engaging in sexual activity with others or with themselves or filling their eyes and their minds with it. Same with the married man. He must be pure in regard to sexual morality. Also like the elders, the deacon is to be a good manager of his children and his household. The deacon must be someone who takes care of his children in correspondence to the God-given responsibilities of the Christian husband and father. And when the word households is added, Paul brings in anything that would be associated with the household. Servants, which we don't have, but this would include an au pair, a nanny, a cleaning lady, a gardener. Also possessions, money, food, the physical house itself. 
And as we saw with elders, this is important because the home is a microcosm of the church. If the elder, as we saw, cannot manage his own household, he cannot manage the household of God. And if the deacon cannot manage his own household, he cannot manage the household of God. As in the church, the home life of the deacon is practiced and exhibited through servant leadership as Christ did for us. Now, on a side note, I want to emphasize that neither the elder nor the deacon must be married or have children to be given that role. However, being married and having children will help an individual in his personal walk with the Lord as well as his service in the church. His wife will be able to sharpen him. He will be able to bounce off ideas with her. He will be able to talk about his quiet times and the sermons with her. She can encourage him, rebuke him, give him counsel, help him make decisions, admonish him. Marriage will teach him to be more humble, sacrificial, selfless, and patient. Having children can do the same. It can also remove the love of money as they learn to use their hard-earned cash on more than just personal needs and wants of themselves and his spouse. To have a much, much bigger emergency fund because kids get sick and break things in their bodies on the many expenses from clothes to books, from doctor bills to educational needs. And as I mentioned earlier, if the proving ground of faithfulness for all leaders is the family, then actually having a family will help solidify his fitness for the role or make it clear that the role is not for him. Single men, if you aspire to the office of elder, or to deacon, or even just to continue to thrive in your Christian walk. I believe I said this when we're covering elders, choose your wife wisely. Is she a godly woman? Not just a growing Christian, but someone who is going to sharpen you and accompany you through the difficulties and the trials of being an elder and a deacon. Someone who, yes, you can laugh with, joke around with, find attractive. All of those things are important. But does she sharpen you? Does she understand that you will be a priority, but second to you and your children, it is the church? And so when there come times when you have to not come home for dinner, she gets it, and she's gracious and doesn't rip you apart or criticize, but encourages and maybe even goes through your schedule and helps you fit those meetings in where you can drive and meet someone at their work for lunch versus missing dinner with the family yet again. Someone who will remind you, yes, I am committed to the church, but five dinners missed is too much in a row. You need to be home. Someone who will gently and graciously, not out of frustration or anger, will take you aside and say, Honey, you know how much I love this church. But it might be time to tell the elders 
you need to take a break for a year or two because our kids need you. Choose your wife wisely. Is it okay to pick a woman because of those characters? What other reason is there? What other reason is there? And whether you want to marry a pastor or deacon or not, single ladies, would you strive to be this person? Strive not to be a deacon's wife, not to be an elder's wife, not to be a pastor's wife. Strive to be a faithful Christian woman. So back to our text. This is not to dissuade or discourage those who are single or married without children for from pursuing godliness in general or these roles specifically, but the blessing, the refining, the spiritual growth achieved in a man's life through being a family man is a form of blessing, refining, and spiritual growth that cannot be accomplished in a man's life in any other way. So, in addition to the five spiritual qualifications that we saw in verse 8, And the testing of verse 9, we have these two qualifications in verse 12. And Paul ends this whole section by talking about the reward that deacons who serve well will receive. This is not a reward in the sense of chance or luck or lottery, but is more along the lines of compensation in that they have earned it through their hard work. And that's our final exhortation for service in the deacon's ministry, the fitting compensation. We've seen the female counterpart, the further characteristics, and finally, the fitting compensation, verse 13. Four, those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now we know, by God's grace, There is eternal reward for all believers. There is greater reward for those who serve in a way that manifests Christian love and godly obedience. It is very clear in the New Testament that you can get more reward based on how you serve and obey. However, there is here something special promised for the deacon who has served well. Look at the verse. It's not just those who serve. It's not just those who are deacons. Those who are deacons and serve well as a deacon. First, they obtain for themselves a high standing. The word standing literally means a step, a step up, a foundation that they're standing on, which gives us a physical picture of being lifted up or having a firm foundation in the local church. Now, whether Paul is here referring to the standing before God or before men is not clear. We know salvifically no one's standing can change by their behavior. We know that reward can. Within the context, this is most likely talking about his standing within the church, although both of those aspects are taught in the New Testament. So, in the eyes of the congregation, as well as in the sight of God, the faithful deacon will have an excellent standing because of his excellent work. This is not so much talking about eternal reward or even something like promotion to being an elder, 
but a respect and honor from those whom they serve, namely their church. The added benefit of this is that in this honor, they serve as examples of ministry to others. This example we talked about last week. This in turn allows them to have more influence for the Lord among His people as they see Him as an example of service and godliness. Remember that word dignity has a nuance of being honored and being seen in awe of. There's a respect and honor that we should see in our deacons. And when the deacon is put into his position biblically and with the proper spiritual qualifications as well as the period of testing, we see that this foothold, this standing, means that he will not lose the honor he receives because he's a godly man. He has done well, and he will be recognized as such. This is not to be a primary reason for someone to pursue the diaconate, just as reward is not why we should pursue becoming a Christian or obeying. But that is part of it. And this does provide a great reminder that God is not a God who is about forcing us to serve with no blessing or recompense given. He blesses. Boy, do we see that every day. He blesses. He gives. We may not see it, We probably complain about it more than we thank Him for it, but it is blessing, undeserved grace nonetheless. There's another reward or compensation given for the deacon who serves well. Follow as I read, great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. When people serve biblically in a biblical church, there is a confidence that grows in regard to their service. This is coupled by a trust in those deacons from those who they are serving. As a result, and this is where the word confidence comes from, and you know this from whatever situation you've been in, whether at school or at work, the more respect and confidence people have in you, the more confidence and freedom you have to speak freely and authoritatively and confidently because people respond to the sacrifice of service and your personal integrity. Now, we know for the Christian that we are to still serve as God tells us, regardless of whether or not people respond or even appreciate it. But you understand that there is a freedom in that when you know people are receiving what you say well. This is a warning as well that deacons must do things biblically because if people are so apt to receive it, you better be telling them the truth and serving in a way that corresponds with the Scripture. But this freedom and respect and confidence, it's something that builds upon itself because one feeds the other. I mean, you may not trust that new boss that they just hired, But for whatever reason, on LinkedIn or whatever the thing is these days, you see his resume and you realize this guy has some great experience. And then you realize how much he actually cares for you and the team and the company and the actual product you're making and the people who need that product. You start letting your guard down and you trust him even though he's only been there a couple weeks. This will in turn allow that boss to speak more freely with the knowledge that his team trusts him. This is the same idea here. 
except there's less subjectivity because the standard of what is entailed in a deacon serving well is the objective Word of God. Ultimately, it is faith in that Word that is the basis of this confidence, not only in his own life and walk with God, but also in the lives of those receiving service from that deacon. Without a true and growing faith in the Lord, there can be no trust in this context. A biblical church is going to want biblical men who live biblically and serve biblically. Biblically, 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 Bible, biblically. See a theme there? And when either side, the deacons or the congregation, do not trust the Lord and His Word or do not value it as the primary source of how things should be done, then there is a hampering and hindering of a deacon's service at least if he wants to do it, do so according to Scripture. The word that Paul uses, confidence, literally means freedom of speech. So the more godly the man, then the more godly his service, and the more he should feel able to speak freely because what he says and how he serves reflects the God he serves. But if people don't want to be served according to God's standard, then it will be hard for him. If he doesn't want to serve according to God's standard, then it will be hard for them. When we all seek and strive for the same goal, then there's a confidence because of that goal of faith that, again, greases the wheels of the entire machine. And we all do our part smoothly, freely, effectively, worshipfully. This is a wonderful promise for deacons who serve well. You may have come from a situation or you can remember a situation you were in where you had no respect for the deacons because they didn't do things biblically. There were no spiritual qualifications ever mentioned or looked for in that individual. They were just put in that position for whatever reason, same as elders, same ungodly, unbiblical reasons, good friend of the pastor, guy who will, you know, even something good, like he's a prayer warrior. That doesn't mean he's qualified to be a deacon or an elder. Longevity. Some of you have been in churches where someone has to become an elder or deacon because their offering is 80% of the church budget, and if he pulls out, the church goes under. A lot of unfortunate reasons, and so we praise God again for this objective standard. But if you are the person who says, yeah, you know, I just, every time there's, every Sunday I see something wrong. What's wrong with the deacons? Why don't they do this? Why can't they be there? Why don't they know this person's hurting? I needed this today. They know I was in the hospital Roger announced it. Where are they? Why aren't they here? And all we do is criticize, criticize, criticize. And they're doing things biblically and are biblically qualified as our deacons are in this church. Guess what? That's on you. The only way this works is not just if the deacons are biblically qualified and serve biblically, is if you humbly appreciate what God is doing in our midst, in your life. You see, I've said this before, and I'll probably say it a lot if you stay with our church. I'll say it a lot. You'll hear me say it a lot. 
Any dummy can point out what's wrong. We all do it. If there's anything we're born with, it is a sin nature that criticizes. You don't have to be smart to be able to see what you don't like. It takes godliness, faith, and effort to praise and encourage and thank God and thank people even if it's not done the way you would have done it. We need to be those kinds of people, and it starts with your personal faith, not the deacons. It starts with your personal faith and recognize that you are, like me, no greater than a pile of dung. We are sinners. We have earned nothing but eternal hell. And that is not to say that we lower our standards for our elders or our deacons or for each other. But that brings us a humility and an understanding that it is all God's grace. And so, with that, yes, give your advice. Let us know what needs to be fixed. Let us know who needs to be visited and who needs meals. But can we agree to give honor to our deacons for deaconing well? Let's be this kind of church. May you commit to being that kind of person. You want to complain? You want to criticize? You have my email. You have my number. Leave the deacons alone. They are worthy of respect and honor and confidence. It's a wonderful promise. And again, they might not get it if our church doesn't give it. Regardless, we have godly men doing godly work as deacons. They deserve the respect and trust that is spoken of here. And if you can't give it to them, again, that's not on them, that's on you. And on the flip side, just as you pray for the protection and biblical service for me as your pastor and Chris as your elder, pray for your deacons that they would model all that we have seen over these past two Sundays. And as we look at these three exhortations for service in the deacon's ministry, the command for all Christian women, the characteristics within the home, the fitting compensation of the reward and the honor that they are given within the local body, my question for you is in understanding that all of these things are elsewhere commanded for all of you, are you the college student who is spoiled, mommy's footing the bill, you passed all the AP classes without even trying, and you sit in that college classroom saying, they're lucky to have me? Or do you have the realistic understanding that you came from nothing? You're not even paying your own bill. It's some magical scholarship called the blood of Jesus Christ that you could be in that classroom at all. And every time you stop, every time you walk to class, people know you. They're so annoyed because they got to walk by you in the main thoroughfare through, through the campus because they're like, why did this guy always stop? Because every step you take on that campus, you can't believe you're there. And then it's not a burden, but a joy. 
Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the role of deacon and the, clear, the clarity of your word in regard to how we are to behave as Christians, but also within those roles. Thank you that you have given us throughout the history of our church godly men and women to be deacons, and thankful, thank you, Lord, that in this recent season of in, immense growth in our church, we have had two godly deacons who are faithful and are serving and are meeting needs and love this church. Thank you too, Lord, for their wives and families that are so supportive and helpful in every way, practical, spiritual, and emotional. I pray that you would raise up more men, Lord, to fulfill these roles, that you would give us exactly what we need for who you bring to this church. We pray these things in Jesus' name.